This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk about Go, Trident, Kubernetes, and how NetApp Dev and QA is embracing them. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in my basement and we are talking with a couple of developers from NetApp. And the goal of today's show is to talk about how NetApp is modernizing how they do dev and QA. We've actually done this before on the podcast a while back, uh, episode 136. But because technology changes, we want to make sure we check in every now and then and figure out what things have changed with them. So uh, to do that, we have a co-guest host or a co-host or whatever you want to call them. Uh, Jonathan Rippey is here. So Jonathan, you've been here before, but what do you do? How do we reach you? Yes. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. And um, I'm on Twitter at JK Rippey. And um, I work on the Trident team. I'm a developer on the Trident team. All right. Excellent. And, uh, glad to be here. Awesome. Yeah, we are also glad that you're here. Thank you. You're not actually in the basement, though. You're on, you're on the basement. No. No, I'm in, I'm in my own basement. He's in his own basement. <laughs> also with us today, uh, a new podcast guest, um, Nick Garachi. Garachi? How do I say that, Nick? Uh, we talked about this. I'm uh, totally just giving him yeah, a bunch Yeah, of we talked about it a we bit. We did. I wanted um, to do it anyway, but go ahead. <laughs> the, the original uh, pronunciation, as far as my grandparents told me, is uh, Garachi. Uh, and now we just go by Gerace. It's, it's a little easier. We've assimilated. Um, and yeah, so Nick Gerace is what I go by. Your stage name could be Gerace. It could be. It could, I, I actually, fun word. fact, and, and I don't want to derail what we're going to talk about, but oh, we derail it. Go ahead. <laughs> in, in college, uh, I was actually a DJ and I went by ill race because I was from the outer Philadelphia area. So some people took the ill of that in the race. And, uh, yeah, I, I DJed Wake Forest basketball games as ill race. So, oh, so you DJ the basketball games? So like, you were like that guy? Like the one yes. That does? Yes. I, I, I was on the floor. I'll send you a picture after this, uh, uh, after this podcast. But, yeah, I was on the floor in, uh, in the Coliseum for the home games. Awesome. All right. So Nick's not just here to talk about DJing, but he's also here to talk about uh, how we are modernizing our dev and QA environments at NetApp. But before we get into that, let's talk about Trident, because that's what Rippy's working on. And uh, what's new with Trident, Rippy? What's going on? Yep, Justin, we just had a new release. Um, uh, as before I mentioned, you know, we have a regular cadence. So we had one back in January. I think we already talked about that on the last podcast that I was on. And then we just had one um, in April. And we, we added three new features. Um, all of these were customer asks. So, um, you know, make sure you go on GitHub and, and, and reach out to your account teams if you have features you'd like to, to get added. And they'll get added to our, to our you know, our list. Um, one of the features was a Trident operator. So we, we, we now have a Kubernetes operator style de- deployment option for Trident. We also added bidirectional chap for ONTAP SAN and ONTAP SAN economy for those two um, drivers that we had. And we also added um, automatic export policy management for your uh, NFS exports. So it's just, I didn't want to go into too much detail today, just high-level bullet points. But um, yeah, we have a new release. Check it out. And as always, we have blog posts about all the new features on the pub. And you can go to our Read the Docs page to find out more. Or come to our Slack channel as well on the pub. So just in case people aren't aware, what is Trident exactly? Oh, yes. So Trident is our... um, 
dynamic storage provisioner in the container space. It, it can interface with Kubernetes and with Docker, and it allows you to um, allows users to uh, provision storage from our ONTAP systems, um, from E-Series, SolidFire, and ONTAP, and from our cloud volumes integrations that we have. So it makes it really easy in, in the container ecosystem for your users to consume the storage. All right, cool. So um, with with Trident, you know, there's a lot of automation built in to try to make things easier for containerization of things. Um, the latest thing that's been popping up for for automation has been the use of Kubernetes in environments, and we've covered this in the podcast before. And that's why Nick's here because that's what we're doing in NetApp these days. So Nick, tell us how we are implementing Kubernetes across our Dev and QA environments. Sure thing. Um, so, so of course, the the public face of uh, where, where our Kubernetes uh, efforts have gone into have been uh, Project Astra. That's one of the things we're working on, uh, which you can go on NetApp's website and look at right now on the NetApp Cloud website. And s- sort of how that's pivoted inside to what we do at NetApp is, you know, how do we modernize our workflows and how do we make sure that our teams can work together. You know, previously, uh, I would say it's fair to assume that teams that traditionally worked on ONTAP just worked on ONTAP, and teams that traditionally worked on E-Series just worked on E-Series. So what Kubernetes has sort of empowered us to do is be able to share our services, our containerized images, our containerized applications across different silos and be able to work together. And on the infrastructure side, I guess I should uh, introduce what I do first. Uh, I'm Nick. I'm on the Arrow team, which provides infrastructure and tooling for traditionally just on tap, but now whoever needs us. And that includes working with some of our friends in SolidFire. That includes actually working with uh, some of Rippy's friends in Trident. You know, we, uh, we, we've, we've also helped the Trident team be able to use some of our resources as a traditionally on tap team. Uh, so that they are able to test Trident, they're able to continuously integrate Trident and make it a really powerful product because uh, that's what it is. I, I, I think it's you know a, a staple of what great open source can look like at NetApp, and uh, we we kind of want to keep that ball rolling. So I, I, I think to synthesize all that, we're working on uh, another project that sort of takes what we've learned in tools and infrastructure across these teams and. Uh, I'm kind of excited to talk about it today, um, but but I think that's a good background to start uh, on everything. With containerization and Kubernetes, you know, people look at these as buzzy terms in the industry. What are some real world use cases of why you'd want to go from what you're doing today, such as here at NetApp, to something that's more containerized and something that's more lightweight like that? So there's an industry term called cloud native, and some people hate it. Some people love it. I personally like it when it's used, not not overused, right? So cloud native means it's environment agnostic. You can run your application anywhere. You don't care about the endpoint, even though it's usually a Linux AMD64 server. It usually means your application's ready to be built and ran anywhere. Um, so the power of containers is, is that as we not just go to hyperscalers and not just go to cloud environments, we buy more stuff on-prem Maybe we buy more systems that focus on providing hyperscale to your on-premises data center. And then you're working in one cloud and then another cloud and then a final cloud. And 
Uh, AWS yesterday just put out a massive, I think it's the M6G. I, I can't remember the name of it. They put out a massive ARM server. There's all these different type, types of environments where you want your applications to run. So the power of containers is being able to sort of take the code you already have without having the bloat of a virtual machine and the need for uh, a hypervisor, but beyond what the Linux kernel already provides, and being able to run that anywhere. So, so that's sort of the core power, I think, of containerized software. Yeah, I like to say it helps solve the, the problem developers have traditionally had of, well, it works on my machine when you're trying to go to deploy to production. <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't know why it's not working for you. It works on my machine. Yeah, so this helps eliminate that problem. I think, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, Rippy. Uh, yeah, I, I think most developers, you know, will look back and say, I remember my first Docker run, right? And be like, that just worked, which, which is kind of crazy. And then I just told you to do a Docker pull on what I pushed to the registry. I still remember doing this in college. And then everyone's sitting there like, oh my gosh, I didn't have to download, you know, this string of Python, or if I'm coding in Rust, I didn't have to, you know, Rust up and then cargo update. It, it, it just worked. No pip install, nothing. So I think that every developer kind of remembers that, in my opinion, who, who's used Docker before. Yeah, it's definitely very magical. And then, you know, uh, Kubernetes just builds on top of that, you know, it, um, and it makes it easier for uh, your operations teams to deploy it in your in large environments, you know, tens to hundreds of Linux hosts that all need to to run your workloads. So Docker's kind of like, and containers in general are kind of like the, the building block. And then Kubernetes is this operationalized uh, infrastructure built on top of that. So Nick, you mentioned that you're working on a project now that kind of encapsulates all this. Um, so what is it that you're working on and how are we implementing it within the NetApp infrastructure? Sure thing. So, um, so actually a lot of the work uh, I do today and our team does uh, doesn't really involve the administration of Kubernetes. Now, now we do that for the support we provide on Project Astra, but for our own project, we're actually on the opposite end of things. We're writing a lot of Go code, and we're writing a lot of Kubernetes API code. And actually, Rippy talked about the Trident operator. We're doing the same thing. We've created an operator that can help us launch containerized tests. So you've heard David Presley and Mecca talk about, I believe on episode 136, Nate and Knackle, these libraries that are used all across NetApp in order to interface with many different NetApp products on tap specifically. And sort of where that goes into where we look in the future is, okay, what's next after Nate and Knackle, right? What, or how do we take Nate and Knackle to the next level? And this containerized test platform that uses a Kubernetes operator that we wrote in Go is sort of enabling us to say, you can install this on any cluster. We, we've even tried it on tiny clusters like Kind, which is uh, Kubernetes in Docker. It's, it basically uh, gives you a, a cluster just by running Docker on your local host or client. And we, we've tried it on larger installations as well. And it's sort of the ability to extend Kubernetes to say, hey, you, you want to run tests in a, containerized, uh, in a containerized way against pretty much any product you want or maybe a set of products to start? That's where we're sort of looking where Nate and Knackle goes into the future. So um, 
Uh, so we can dive into it a little more, but that's sort of the summary of, of what we're working on is uh, sort of using Kubernetes operators, writing a bunch of Go code, extending the Kubernetes API, and taking Nate and Knackle to the next level. You mentioned Kind. I just want to chime in and say I'm a huge fan of Kind. It's a massive fan yeah, of Kind. Yeah. It's a web, you know, if you Google for Kind and you, you should find it, but it's like kind.sigs.kates.io. Um, makes it really easy to um, spin up uh, different versions of Kubernetes as well. Like, so if you needed, for some reason, you need to be testing like 111, 112, 113, all the way up to 118, 119, or even an alpha version, it makes it really easy to um, spin those clusters up, you know, for your own local dev testing and, um, and just make sure things work. So I, I personally use it. I'm a huge fan. It's funny. It's funny you say that. And this is kind of tangential. Uh, I was on Twitter um, recently and I, and this is one of my most popular tweets, got 60 likes, which I'm proud of because <laughs> I'm still somewhat new to Twitter. It said a uh, relationship with Minikube ended. Kind is my new best friend. Yeah. And then some of the Kubernetes SIGs actually hopped in the, or, or some of the folks from the Kubernetes SIGs hopped in the comments and, uh, we had some funny discussion about how uh, Minikube vendors kind and uh, and how and how some of these products actually play nice with each other. Um, it, it's actually if you contribute to Kubernetes directly itself, their documentation recommends you use kind to test their changes, which is a cool little fun fact. Um, but yeah, we 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 love that software. It's great. So good. Basically, uh, I, I spoke to. Um, Kelsey Hightower back in February, he was holding office hours for um, anyone really, but I think uh, junior engineers benefited the most from it, um, more than likely. Uh, And, you know, I I started at NetApp in June 2019. I graduated in May 2019. So, so I just had some questions about how the, how the world worked from his point of view. Um, And one of the things we went into was, uh, you know, writing Kubernetes applications and extending the API and sort of how, you know, this design sort of helped what I do as a daily base uh, on a daily basis and how we design our projects going forward. And uh, what, what Kelsey made a big point to do. And I think, you know, teams like uh, Rippy's team who, who works on Trident have done very well is don't automate Kubernetes, extend it. And, and we've sort of taken that with this containerized test platform and sort of taken it to the max. Um, so, so I can briefly explain what that means. Uh, when you automate Kubernetes, you can write code and infrastructure that abstracts Kubernetes layers. However, it doesn't create any new Kubernetes resources. It doesn't extend the API. It's automation code written around Kubernetes or maybe a microservice written around Kubernetes that runs something similar to kubectl create on a cluster, or maybe it runs in cluster. But regardless, it's something that if you change the infrastructure underneath, the application itself might break because you're automating Kubernetes and not extending it. And then if you have to implement the next version of that, or if you have to implement uh, the, the next application that your users are using and they simply automate Kubernetes, their inputs might change. So now when we get into the containerized test platform and how we extend Kubernetes, we want it so that if a user hits a button, they they basically have a shopping list, right? And the shopping list says, hey, I want to run these containerized tests. This is a test that rapidly 
deletes and provisions a certain resource. This is a test that stress tests something to its highest limit. Let's just say bandwidth. Um, and this is my other test. And it only runs after those first two complete. This kind of thing is like a shopping list. It's like, hey, I have all these tests and I know what I want to do. What we want to provide is, let's say Kubernetes were to go away tomorrow and it would be a new containerized infrastructure or Docker were to go away and we would use Podman or anything in the back end would change. The front end user experience stays the same because we extended Kubernetes to say, we're not going to automate someone else's software. We're going to write our own using the Kubernetes API. And I think that's something pretty powerful that I would uh, recommend to a lot of folks listening um, and what's nice about this operator pattern is you create your own custom Kubernetes resource. Um, and, and before I go into ramp mode, I think that's a pretty good summary of sort of, you know, our design vision behind this. And uh, Rippy, I, didn't, uh, I don't know if you have anything to add on to that, you know, extending Kubernetes, writing custom resources, things like the Trident operator. Um, yeah. do, do you have anything to add? I'll say definitely, uh, you know, it's better to to be a partner in the ecosystem and uh, evolve with it and help it evolve. You know, so we net up in general, we have uh, people on those SIG committees you're talking about, you know, especially in the storage part portions. Um, and, you know, it, the, the industry as a whole, you know, I think everyone is like really excited about where Kubernetes is going and, and how, e you know, easy it's becoming to extend. And, you know, Trident has been there um, since the early days and we've been, extending it in ways you described. So last last year, I think it was uh, a 1907 release is when we added CRDs, so custom resource definitions for um, Trident objects. So um, yeah, so we've been in there um, doing what you're saying as well. So just ex extending uh, Kubernetes. Yeah. And and I think I, I think we should take a minute to say, you know, what is a custom resource definition um, and, and sort of just break it down briefly because yes, that was the 1907 release actually. Now that, now that I remember. Um, so, so yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that, that actually wasn't too long ago. It's kind of crazy how fast things change. Um, yeah. so yeah, so a custom, uh, resource definition, uh, uh, for those who do not know is, uh, in, in layman's terms is basically when you define your own resource, which is in the name. So you have a kind, a Kubernetes kind resource of a pod or a deployment or a job. And these might be resources you're familiar with. And historically using Kubernetes, you can automate these things like, hey, I want to run a script that launches a Kubernetes job with this in its spec. Well, what if instead of writing that software outside the cluster or in a microservice, you decided to instead say, hey, we're just going to write our own resource. So let's say we make a resource of kind foo, like it's called kind foo. Or uh, actually, you know what? We'll stick with the theme of this podcast. It's kind Jirachi, right? It's, we call it Kubernetes kind Jirachi, and uh, we, we, we make an operator around it. And what this operator does is it does all that automation for you. It'll say, hey, I see this custom resource you made on the cluster. Okay, cool. I'm going to do some stuff. Maybe when this resource is made, I will launch a deployment and I'll launch that deployment for 60 minutes. I'll watch and pull it and I'll mark my status as in progress. 
And then once that deployment or microservice is done after 60 minutes, I'll close that up and then I'll mark that custom resource as done. And what this sort of does is takes the automation on, you know, outside of just abstracting things that already exist and lets you extend and write your own API code. And, uh, and it's really powerful. We, we've had a great experience with it. And, and, and you'll see more and more projects, I think, in open source community take this route when using Kubernetes. Yeah, I agree. You're definitely seeing a lot more operators coming up. Um, I think, though, to, to, to directly answer Justin's question, because I'm, I'm a huge fan of tangents, um, so I, I really want to get you know, to the meat of sort of what the containerized pl- test platform provides is, um, as I said earlier, we, we've worked in these, his, uh, historically worked in these silos, and, and I've been at NetApp for about 11 months, and, and the biggest change I've seen is teams working together more and more and it's really great to see and and you know it's something we've been very proud of and sharing software and what this containerized test platform enables us to do is hey don't worry about automating the test platform itself that's what extending the api and creating custom resources and having all those inner cluster infrastructure changes really does for us that's that's pretty great um and now instead Focus on writing your containerized tests and which products you want to target and how we can share that across teams. You know, uh, David Presley spoke about containerized, uh, sorry, not containerized, continuous integration tests, our CIT system. Um, we're, we're potentially aiming at using those uh, as, uh, as, as vectors to, to use containerized test platforms. You know, there's it, it's more than just it's more than just modernizing everything vertically. We want to modernize vertically and horizontally. And what I mean by that is not just vertically in the ONTAP silo, but horizontally in the NetApp silo as well. And it's it's just been a really cool experience to be able to uh, write software that benefits more than just a handful of users. And, and, and while that is great, it's also really good to have that cross-team collaboration as well. So, so that's sort of the vision and design behind this, you know, where, where Arrow is looking at taking these Nate and Knackle uh, libraries and the test infrastructure to the next step. So, Nick, what programmer language does NetApp standardize on? Do we have just one that we use? Do we use multiples? Is it all COBOL? What, what is it? <laughs> I, I, I think uh, it, we, we'd be in some pretty big trouble if it was COBOL right now. Um, I don't know. New Jersey but- runs on COBOL. <laughs> right, a, a lot of places do actually. It is one of the highest paying jobs, uh, and 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 if you can write COBOL, then right now you are you are very you are probably a very happy person. Um, but yeah, or or you're not a happy person because you're writing yeah. COBOL. Yeah. Um, so uh, historically, you know, I'll speak from the QA side and sort of the not just QA for tests, but QA for infrastructure and tooling as well. Um, historically, we used Perl, and then in uh, in the 2018 episode 136, you've heard us uh, pivot to Python. Uh, that has actually successfully come forth. All new tests, all new infrastructure, everything that's new is written in Python, and you're beginning to see Perl a lot less and less. However, we're also creating less script-based automation 
and more stuff that's persistent, more services, more microservices, right? On the infrastructure and tooling side. And that bleeds into the Go programming language, which is what Kubernetes itself is written in. So this containerized test platform and the other pieces of infrastructure that we support, you know, specifically uh, how we support Project Astra, ONTAP, and other products, um, you, you're beginning to see those being written in languages like Go, things that are persistent, things that are compiled. Um, and, and our team within Arrow, sort of unofficially the Arrow Kubernetes team, is also not just looking at tomorrow, which is, okay, this containerized test platform, right? That's what we're working on now, but also the week after, so to speak, which is really the year after. But for... For me personally, we're, we're really interested in languages like uh, like Rust in particular. Um, we, we've been doing a lot of uh, uh, research uh, in off hours, so to speak, or, or when we get a free chance to say, hey, what, what do we look at next here, right? And uh, as well as, uh, you know, functions as a service. I think functions as a service as the next logical step to this infrastructure or platform as a service is a great uh, direction to go in. And uh, we're also looking in the rapid Kubernetes uh, provisioning. So, um, so this would include the Kime project we spoke to and things to that degree. Sort of how do we give people this infrastructure faster and stronger? And it starts with making pivots to languages that are more suitable for persistent services like Go. And maybe into the future, how do we create memory safe language that's super performant and, uh, and enables us to really talk at a low level like Rust. So we're not just going in, like before, not just one direction vertically. Like obviously Python has been huge for test automation and, and even a, a lot of our automation in general. But also now you're starting to see Go and maybe even other languages in the future. So, so we're starting to be open to this idea of let's do the right Let's use the right tool for the job. Have a standard backup, but also use the right tool for the job as well. Sort of that balance. I was informed that Go wasn't a real programming language, Nick. Uh-oh, who said this? I think he's just trolling me because he knows how much I love Go. <laughs> no, no, I've, just, I've, heard, I've heard people make this argument, right? That, that yeah, Go isn't real because people that. understand how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, uh, uh, R- Rippy, do you want to handle that first? Or? Do you even uh, assembler, uh, man? Come yeah. on, <laughs> yeah, we just speak binary, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> this whole podcast yeah. is just a series of zeros and ones. It's just ones and zeros, man. Um, yeah. So, so the quick answer there is: there's been a lot of blog posts that have come out saying that some of Go's standard libraries. And, and Rob Pike, if you're listening to this, please, I'm, I'm on your side. Um, I, 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 a lot of uh, a, a lot of blog posts have come out, sort of saying that some of the standard libraries in Go make some assumptions that they're typically on a Unix-esque machine. Uh, there was a blog post by um, I, I, I I cannot remember the uh, the poster's name at the time, but 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 they're an incredible follow at Faster Than Lime on Twitter uh, that Mana. Monotonic time, which is the time gauged within an application itself, not based on the operating system, I believe, uh, is actually sometimes incorrect in Go. And while Go has been a very easy language to write, you know, you just write your function and then you check the error. You write your next function and then you check the error. 
Um, there's a lot of uh, with simplicity comes a cost. And that's why you've sort of seen this counterattack with Rust and quote unquote real programming languages that don't make any assumptions. Uh, do I think it's bunk? Yes, uh, obviously it is. And Go is designed for really easy concurrency to have great networking. It comes with the net HTTP package. So you have a, you have a, uh, you have a networking library built in and you have Go routines for fast concurrent programming. And it's really great for server-side applications where this asynchronous networking-based programming, hint, hint, Kubernetes is very good. So I, I would say to people, hey, I, I know you want one language to do it all, but I got to tell you, Go is pretty good at what it does in its silo. It's also extremely easy to cross-compile as well. So if you're were on your Mac and you wanted to create a Windows binary for some reason, you can do that. You can just set one environment variable. Sorry, two environment variables, Go OS and Go Arch. Um, that can be really helpful too if, you're, if you have the Internet of Things uh, as one of your um, targets. So you could use a, 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 you know, a beefier machine like your laptop and cross-compile to like Raspberry Pis. So it's another huge, huge uh, market for in, that goes in. And and even in the server compute side, right? I I think Go's biggest advantage is you know if if we talk about these modern programming languages, um, Rust is v very good at being the closest thing you can get to not actually managing the memory yourself. Go is the fastest thing with a garbage collector. So hey, don't even worry about it at all. And it's still really fast. Um, I think not just as well for IoT, but you look at you know potentially future innovations in server compute uh, as you go to like the Risk Five uh, uh, open source uh, instruction set architecture, and you go to ARM servers, they're becoming pretty huge as well. In fact, the new MacBooks in 2021, uh, they they may or may not use ARM uh, uh, according to back rumors and those kinds of things, but. Um, I, I, I think w when you look at, you know, the power of Go in particular, that cross compilation, I, I'd be willing to say no other language has that beat because even Rust, I, I used, I, I use Docker and some virtualization to cross compile Go. It's just built right there in the binary and it's really nice. We also like the, uh, the Go language and just because of its gopher. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm wearing totally. like. Go for a shirt right now. Actually, hey, that's like, very appropriate. You wear that every yeah. day, though, so that is. Right I do, there. I do. It's a pullover, so I get a lot All of. The, <laughs> yeah, my uh, uh, my significant other likes drawing the the gopher all the time. So I have like these pictures of like the gopher and the and the, I, I think the further apart the eyes are, the cuter it is. Um, yes. I, I think that's the scale of which <laughs> it's on. So uh, so yeah, there there are quite a few floating around here. Although, not gonna lie. The, the rust station crab from rust might be a might be a contender in the future it, it's not there yet though it's not there yet though. one day i have not seen yeah. this i have to go look this up now yeah you really you really do um i i could oh i i could talk for hours about that programming language it's uh as a quick summary though just really brief um it's basically in some respects can be a, a replacement to C or C++ because there's no garbage collector, but you also don't have any memory safety, uh, memory safety vulnerabilities as well. 
because due to its system of borrowing memory and having a borrow checker and a really strong compiler, you actually get the benefits of a, a garbage collected language while essentially writing something as fast as C or C++. So it's extremely powerful. Um, I'd, I'd be willing to talk about it all the time, but but sort of as we look in the future of, you know, what what might we be interested in in the Arrow team, like just going way forward, that's one of the things I was looking at. But before the here and now, Go has, uh, you know, I, I think one of the Go maintainers has said, um, uh, has said something, or, or Go creators, it might have been Russ Cox, uh, has said something to the effect of Go has become the default language for cloud native. And in a lot of ways, that's true. Docker and Kubernetes are both written in Go, and it is really good at networking. It is really good at asynchronous and concurrent compute, and it is really good at cross-compilation. All these things are perfect for cloud native, and I think Go is here to stay. So, so for all of you listening to this who don't think Go is a real programming language, my Twitter handle is at Nick A. Gerace. I would love to hear your thoughts. Come at me, bro. Uh, yeah, yeah, w- w- yeah. 1v1 me. Uh, all in public, though, not the DMs. That's Slide to my DMs, bro. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it, it, it's just interesting, you know, people decide what is and isn't a real programming language. Yeah, it's it's more of a religious debate at that point. And right. Usually doesn't have a whole lot of fact-based uh logic and in, involved it's mostly emotional and in nostalgia but whatever right i gotta i gotta add in that you know trident is also written in go and it's open source so if you want to see oh something, snap you can, you can go on the on a, on our github page rippy's dropping the mic slash netapp slash trident and you can read some go codes that's right it's, i think it, we have a hundred and twenty thousand ish lines of code there's a there's a lot of code up there to make trident work yeah. Wow, it's it's really great software, and uh, and for those of you who might think that Go doesn't get really low level and in the weeds on some operating systems, you would be surprised. You can go look at that Trident code right now, and it is it it, it is some of the best Go code I've seen. So so you should definitely check it out. The whole wow, who's responsible you. for all that Go code? Would it be Rippy? No, wow, some of it, not some all. Of it. All, you, you didn't write all five hundred million lines. Uh, no, no, I did not. <laughs> we're we're, we're Big team, we're, big team. Yeah, and, and, and we're really proud, you know, uh, to to work with them, especially you know as uh, as the Arrow team supports more than just on tap. You know, when Trident does some of its uh, higher stress testing using more resources, we're we're very 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 uh, very happy to to partner with them on that. You know, we get we get to sort of see what are the upper limits to Trident, how can it be handled, and what what continuously integrating and testing it looks like uh, as well as just using it uh, all the time you know trident trident is the de facto way uh, in the open source community to connect your on tap systems with your kubernetes clusters it is just very good at that storage provisioning um, and, and I'm turning this into an ad for you this was supposed to be about That's, the containerized test platform well it well, was I'm, now we're now we're talking about other things we tangented <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I am very good at tangents. It, it, uh, it's that there's just so much cool stuff to talk about in software, and I think the work that NetApp's doing, especially in in recent years, right? Um, and, and you've heard us talk about um, our our software defined ambitions, uh, and we we're really doing a good job, I would say, as as someone new ish still coming in. 
keeping our ear to the ground and say, okay, what's next? You know, not, not just what's going on now, what's happening yesterday, what's next? And I think uh, Trident is sort of the open source version. And I think the benefits of our containerized test platform will bleed through the products. Maybe we'll be able to test things uh, more efficiently, better at scale. And uh, yeah, things to that degree. Yeah. So, so speaking of tangential, something you mentioned earlier was uh, like cross-team collaboration and you know how your team is working with other teams. And we've been talking about a lot of cool technology. I would like to say, you know, if you work at NetApp, you know, internally we have a lot, we have, we do have opportunities, you know, throughout the year for people to do, to work on uh, fun and exciting things that might be outside of their day job. That would be our hackathons and innovation challenges that we run. Um, I've seen Nick present and uh, I think he won one of those. Um, I've, I've, I've participated in quite a few. Um, there's a really good opportunities for people to internally to get to, to, to have chances to, to, to work on this new tech. So you see one of those come through your email and if you know your management chain's cool with it which i can't imagine they would not be then um yeah check it out and uh, try to find a team you can also reach out uh to me or, or nick i'm sure would help try to point you at other teams that are they're doing cool things and you know the organizing committee they'll send the email we'll have um, tips for that as well yeah and uh hackathons are honestly amazing you know we're very we're very fortunate that netapp gives uh Every six months, they give an entire week for you to work on this hackathon. And and actually, I've seen the opposite happen. Not management chain saying, oh, you should, you know, you might not be able to work on this hackathon. Sort of the opposite. Like, hey, stop doing real work. Work on the hackathon, right? Like, like have fun. Do something new. Because a lot of times as well, uh, these, pro- these projects can actually become real, real NetApp. Uh, real NetApp products that can become real NetApp libraries, real, real NetApp tools, and uh, and 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 Rippy is right. Uh, uh, I am two for two on hackathon wins so far. We're going for three for three this summer. Uh, they they have a really special place in my heart since my buddies and I founded a Wake Forest one in college. Um, and and I think for everyone listening in who wants to participate, please do not hesitate to reach out to uh, Rippy and I. Um, you can actually code on a real programming language like Go, and uh, Justin, I'm sure, will get in there on the code line with you. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> Hackathon, come at me, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Slide into Justin's DMs, too. Totally. Not not mine, Justin's. You, if you want Justin's at, at Nick A. Gerace, and then I'll redirect you to Justin, oh, where you go. can yeah. yeah, where you can fire off the complaints. Nick, Nick is my proxy, <laughs> my DM proxy. Yes. You're already uh, innovating, Justin. I am. This, this is in, innovating You've in already, the most backwards way possible. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's just, it's it, it's really cool to see the, the, the R&D and innovation we can do, uh, honestly. And and I know that sounds like marketing buzzwords, and I'm just like, you know, like, like regurgitating what's been said, but it's true. I mean, you've seen it. Like, Trident is open source. Like, the, these are things we've done and will keep doing. And things I've seen in the hackathons that are bubbling up in other places and cross team collaborations, you know, I think it used to be just the ONTAP hackathon. Now it's the, now it's the everyone hackathon. Right. And, and we have teams collaborating across that. And for those internal to NetApp, please definitely participate in those. They, they are awesome. And, and for those listening outside of NetApp who, who want to uh, collaborate on other projects and ask how they can get started with stuff like Trident and uh, project Astra in the future. 
please do not hesitate to reach out as well. We'll either talk to yourselves or redirect you to the right sources because, you know, innovation for the sake of innovation is, uh, you know, kind of lame sometimes, but innovation for the sake of, you know, not just our customers, but other engineers, sysadmins, other people internal to us, as well as some of our partners is pretty cool as well. So yeah, please reach out. So um, if you're not internal to NetApp, I'm understanding we have some external channels, not just our Twitter accounts. So Rippy, don't we have a Slack channel for Trident? We do. It's on the pub. Um, So if you go in there and you can join our channel and we also have blog posts as well. I I think you can also get there to netapppub.slack.com if I'm correct. Um, yeah, I think so. And there's, there's a link at the very top of NetApp.io. There's a Slack link at the very top. You can click that and join. And this, yeah, it is NetApppub.slack.com. Yeah, that the, that's probably a way to for you to just uh, drop a note and then you know not just Rippy or I, but a, a bunch of super knowledgeable folks to get in and talk. Uh, we have a lot of people external to NetApp in that channel as well. It's, it's sort of a great like meeting ground in between. It's pretty cool. Yeah, there's there's channels for charting, there's channels for um, our Ansible integrations, there's channels for our a- API integrations. So there's just yeah, there's a lot of good good places to go and interact and ask questions, and get help. Justin, thank you very much for you know having having me on here. This is actually my first podcast ever. Uh, I'm almost at a hundred Twitter followers too. So sort of this post college like getting connected uh, for, for other junior engineers watching um, something both, uh, you know, Kelsey Hightower told me and other uh, uh, other well-known folks uh, in the tech community is do not be afraid and hesitate to reach out. You might not know a lot yet, or you might know a lot, but it, it always starts with you seizing that opportunity and, and sort of reaching out to uh, to different folks and uh, reaching out to different communities and saying, hey, I'd like to be a part of this. Um, so so I really uh, appreciate you, Justin, uh, letting me come on here and talk a bit about uh, not only what I do, but what my team does as well, because uh, I've used the I word here a lot, but there's a lot of people behind this making this stuff happen. What's the I word? I. <laughs> <laughs> I, me, I, me. No, the absence of we. <laughs> I thought it was yeah, like yeah. igneous yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> igneous rock. Uh, infrastructure. Infrastructure. Infrastructure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Innovation. Right. Innovation. Yeah. Totally. Jonathan, uh, if we want to get in touch with you, how do we do that? Yep. Um, Twitter at JK Rippy, or as I was talking about the pub, you can jump on there, netup.io. You can find that link to the Slack. I'm, all, I'm on there as Rippy as well. So those are, those are two easy ways. All right. And Nick, how do we reach you? Um, the, the best way to reach out to me is via Twitter first, because I'm unsure what my at is in the pub. Uh, it is Nick a G E R a C E. So Nick a Gerace first name, a last name on Twitter. And, uh, please feel free to DM or tweet at me. All right. Excellent. Thanks so much. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. 
As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap Podcast team, I'd like to thank Jonathan Rippey and Nick Gerace for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.